Tonight, I'm going to speak on Psalm 46. Uh, we're in a series right now on the Psalms. And the Psalms is just such an awesome book. You know, it has some of the most famous uh, lines from the Bible. You know, like, the Lord is my shepherd, um, I shall not want. Or, uh, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, a lot of, a lot of these, like, really uh, verses are a little bit more well-known. A lot of them are found in the Psalms. And the Psalms... Um, is a really unique book because it talks a lot about human emotion. Uh, it basically covers the gamut of just about every different emotion you can experience. Anger, fear, frustration, joy, um, confusion, pain, peace. It's all, all, they're basically all in there. And the Psalms show you how um, to, to like, figure out your emotions. Emotions are confusing things. Uh, but the book of Psalms gives you a way through it. It, it points to how we can take our emotions to God. And, and through God, our emotions can be um, a discipleship issue. So I don't know if you've ever thought about emotions as a discipleship issue, as something that like, God actually cares about and wants to like, help us grow in. Uh, but the book of Psalms is the place uh, to go for that. And so we've been looking at a psalm each week, and tonight I want to look at Psalm 46. And uh, this is a psalm that's about confidence. Um, confidence, you know, that's the key word that I would use just to get at what this psalm is about. And um, I want to read it for you, and then just... Spend a few minutes, don't want to take too much of your night tonight, but just want to spend a few minutes um, just looking at some of the awesome, awesome things that are in this psalm. So uh, if you have a Bible on uh, your phone or maybe a real one, (laughs) um, go to Psalm 46, and I'm just going to read this out loud for us. I'll just give you guys a minute to to flip there. Okay, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I'm just going to pray really quick. If you uh, want, you can join me here. Uh, Father, would you just help us understand this psalm? Um, Would you just draw us closer to Jesus through this psalm? And God, help us know just his amazing heart of love and compassion and tenderness for us through this psalm. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is a psalm about confidence. Um, And I want to look at three different aspects of that tonight. First of all, this psalm contains a promise of confidence. There's a promise here. Second of all, it contains a secret of confidence. You know, okay, what does it actually look like? How do you find confidence? And then, uh, just last thing, is, you know, I just want to end with an invitation to confidence that this psalm contains as well. So, um, promise of confidence, first three verses, secret of confidence, verses four through seven, invitation to confidence, verses eight through eleven. Um, 
If you guys know me, you know that like I just am a big fan of just walking straight through a passage. Uh, the the kind of the, the technical term for that is ex- expository preaching. Um, you know, they say that topical messages will make mushroom Christians. Um, you know, just a little bit of excitement here and there, uh, and but you know, eventually mushrooms kind of die away. Whereas expository messages can make oak tree Christians and. You know, I'm not against topical preaching. I do it a lot, too. <laughs> but I'm a big fan of just going straight through a passage. That's what we're going to do tonight. Um, so first of all, I want to just look at the first couple of verses here. And what this psalm starts off with is this amazing promise. And this is a promise about confidence. Um, things like anxiety and depression um, are really on the rise right now in America. And um, one of the, the things that that relates to is the idea of kind of what sort of hope or confidence um, you have. Um, it's hard to have hope if there isn't like something really, really deep that you can found your life on. Or in other words, like a ground of confidence. Um, and one of the things I've wondered as I've just watched the news over the last, you know, several weeks, you know, there's been so much happening and there's been a lot of, of violence. There's been a lot of, of loud, strident voices calling for change in America. Um, and one of the things I have wondered is, man, I wonder how much of the reaction that we've seen to coronavirus or the reaction we've seen um, to so many of the different forms of injustice um, that our country is facing, um, without like saying that there aren't genuine issues there, I also wonder to what extent fear and anxiety has driven a lot of the reactions that we've seen. Because when things are shaken... And the things that you thought you had confidence in prove that they're not really trustworthy at all. Like, it makes a lot of sense that, like, we would get really nervous and angry and anxious. And so I think one of the ways that you can look at what's happening in America or just with the coronavirus is that it's a crisis of confidence. Like, we're realizing, oh my gosh, like, what do we actually have to hold on to? This psalm contains a promise that there is something you can hold on to that's really lasting, that it will never let you go. Um, And I just want to show you a couple of ways that it does that. So, like, look at the first verse. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So it speaks, first of all, of God as our refuge. Um, Another way that you could translate that is that God is our shelter. Um, And so this is a word in the Bible that a lot of times is associated with things like towers and fortresses. Like, if you're in a crisis, where would you want to be? You know, you'd want to be in a tower or you'd want to be in a fortress. You'd want to be in a place that's safe. And so when the Bible speaks... Uh, of God as our refuge, what's really being offered here is protection. And it's saying that for, for people who, who know God and, and, and like have founded their lives on him, that there's an access there to a kind of safety and security regardless of, of what on earth is going on in life. Like whether you're dealing with like stuff around you, like you know a pandemic or disease or fear or stress or anxiety. So, so there's a source of external protection but then it also says that um, in addition to God being our refuge, that kind of refers to like foes on the outside. It also says that God is our strength, uh, which can speak of God being a source of peace for fears on the inside. So there's both like a protection that's like external. And then there's also a source of inner stability. You know, it's one thing to feel like, man, I'm, I'm like really, really safe because I'm locked in, you know, my my my. You know, apocalyptic bunker with all of my AK-47s and my supply of food for the last few three months, you know. But, like, you still could be, like, really, really afraid inside, you know. Like, it's one thing to have external protection. You don't just need that, though. You need internal stability. You know, sorry, no, no, you know, I'm not trying to dig at those survivalists over in Idaho or anything. <laughs> but 
if you were to put this in modern terms, okay, so like what this verse is promising is pretty profound. If this verse were to come true in the life of every single person in the world, then here's what that would mean. It would mean that counselors and therapists would be out of a job. You know, like we no longer have to spend billions and billions of dollars treating mental health disorders or, or even other forms of, 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 of just anxiety, depression. Like imagine how beautiful it would be if that kind of world were true. That's the promise that this verse is offering. And there's actually one more assurance here. Um, and it's that God is an ever-present help in trouble. Um, and this has got to be one of my just uh, favorite parts of this psalm because um, what, so, so what, what it's saying here is very, very intimate. It's saying that it's a promise not just of God's help but of his presence. Um, one of the ways that the Bible describes despair and anguish is when God hides his face from us. And it's almost as though like God, you know, it's saying that God is the source of life and the source of everything else. And so if God hides his face, if he hides his presence, then, then oh my goodness, what kind of despair or anguish there would be if he, were to, if he were to do that. But what this verse is saying is the opposite. It's saying that in trouble, God is, is ever present. And in fact, literally what this means is it means that he's exceedingly found. He's not hidden. He's not far. He's found. He's like right there. You can just reach out and touch him. And so there's a promise here. There's a promise of confidence. Um, and, and here's what I think about when I think about this. When I think about, when I think about this is um, these, these, these friends of mine um, who I, I think I've actually mentioned them before in one of these messages. But I've got these friends who uh, grew up as missionaries in the country of Ethiopia. And uh, these guys, when, when their mom and dad first went to Ethiopia to be missionaries, um, they, they walked into this tribe. They were, they were missionary veterinarians. So they wanted to go into this tribe, and they were going to use veterinary medicine as a way to uh, get to care for the, the sick animals that this, this group had because they, they, were, they were herdsmen. And, and that was going to be their opportunity to share Jesus with them through serving them. Uh, but they go, and, and as they come into this village, and they're asking if they can stay and live there among them, all the elders of the village get together, and they say, well, we need to decide this. Um, Here's what we're going to have you do. We're going to have you stay in this house, and we're going to have you stay there for like 48 hours. And during those 48 hours, we're going to decide if we're going to let you live here or whether we're going to kill you. Quite the awful. So there they are. They're in this house. And they're there, and they're knowing that like, you know, man, we could be dead in 48 hours. <laughs> and they, for those next two days, just experienced just such total peace. They like slept like babies. And just felt the total presence of God surrounding them, protecting them, and keeping them safe. Now that is a kind of peace that the world can't explain. Um, and let me also just say, that's a kind of hope that the world can't explain. Um, and if there's one thing that I really believe that like, we are sorely lacking right now in our country, is hope. And so this is what this psalm is promising. It's saying that like, God has the ability to give every single person a ground of confidence that is so deep and is so profound that... It makes you as unshakable as these missionary friends of mine who are able to, like, face death right square in the face and say, man, like, the worst that could happen is that we would go and be with Jesus forever. And the, the other, you know, like, the other thing that could happen is that we could get to stay here and tell people about Jesus. Like, you can't go wrong. So, this is why in verse 2, um, it tells you what it looks like to actually have that kind of, of of, uh, of closeness with God. So verse 2. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now what's just so interesting about this is that, like, the stuff that is happening in this psalm 
is probably literally a hundred times worse than anything any of us has ever seen in our lifetime. I mean, like, if you look a little further down, like, I think it's in verse, yeah, verse 6. Like, literally says the earth melts. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, I've never experienced the earth melting. Um, so, what this is saying is that, like, man, there is such a security and a confidence that is on offer. That's the first thing. That's the promise that the psalm is making. Uh, but then there's also, um, in verses 4 to 7, there's a secret of what it looks like to actually get there. Uh, so... Uh, in verse 5, it kind of gives you the secret. So let me read just verses 4 and 5 here um, really quickly. So verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. So here's what's happening. Like if you read through this psalm, like the context is like the mountains are shaking, the seas are roaring, like the earth is melting. But then here's what it says in this verse. It says that inside the city, everything is calm. It says God is within the city. There's some kind of city being talked about here. And inside the city, everything's, everything's okay. So the question is, why, you know, where is that source of peace? Where does that source of confidence come from? And verse 5 tells you the reason is that God is in the city. God is in the city. God is the source of confidence. God is the secret of confidence. Um, and a lot of you are probably listening to this and saying, well, yeah, you know, of course. So what I want to do now is just unpack a little bit more of what does that actually look like to find genuine confidence in, in him? So one thing I want to say that it doesn't mean is that it doesn't mean um, turning a blind eye to reality. This psalm doesn't do that. Like, it's pretty frank. Like, it says, hey, the mountains just, like, collapsed, by the way. And the ocean just, like, exploded, by the way. So it's not turning a blind eye to reality. It's not turning a blind eye to reality at all. Um, And so what that tells you is that, like, Christianity is not a religion of cheap answers. You know, it's not as though, like, stuff happens in life, and the best thing that we as Christians can tell to someone who's hurting is, well, you know, just, like... Pray about it. (laughs) Read your Bible more. Just like look to the Lord more and then everything will be okay. Like that is not what Jesus says. That is not what Christianity is about. We serve a God who didn't just give us fake, you know, paper mache answers, but he literally came down into our world and he entered in to the worst kinds of suffering that anyone can ever imagine. He's walked with us through every single one of those things. And so Christianity doesn't give cheap answers. Um, and I just want to read a little quote for, uh, for you that just does such a great job of showing how this is totally different than the answer that every other kind of religion gives um, two, two times a trial. Um, so this is a Tim Keller quote. So here's what he says. Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra-karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. So what this is saying is that Christianity is not a Pollyanna religion that just gives cheap answers. The confidence it gives goes deeper than that. And so what does that actually look like? Well, two things that I think it is. Uh, Number one... What this psalm is saying here is that it's suggesting that confidence from God is something that kind of wells up from a deep heart-level trust that God is on the throne. That God is on the throne. Um, I remember after the 2016 election, there was a Babylon Bee headline. Anyone ever read the Babylon Bee? It's like this Christian satire website. I, I probably look at this thing almost every single day. It's pathetic. But anyway, they have some great funny things. And, you know, the 2016 election was this crazy, you know, everyone was, you know, going crazy. And it just said, you know, Jesus, you know, election results are in. 
Jesus is still on his throne. And I don't know how often you actually stop and kind of think about this, but right now, at the helm of the universe, there's a man who is in control of everything. And it's Jesus. Jesus is in control of everything. Now, I don't want to get into the whole, you know, like Calvinism versus Arminianism, like what does that actually mean and all, the, all these controversies. But the point is, and without getting into it all, like the Bible says that like we serve a God who has gone to hell and back for us. We know that his heart is for us. We know that he looks on us with compassion and tenderness and love. He's concerned for us. And that this is the guy who's running the universe. I mean, imagine just how cool that is. Now, the only way that, that, that this is actually really going to take on like the, the amazing depth and, and stability that, that I think this psalm is trying to have it mean is to actually realize, like, well, okay, like, what does that actually look like um, for God to be on the throne? What that means is that every single thing that happens in the universe, every single thing that's happening right now is all working toward the day when Jesus comes back. You know, the verse in the Bible says that God works all things together for those, all that works things, all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What that means is that every single thing, God is, is going to overrule and work for his purposes. And, and another way that you could say that is that God only gives Satan enough rope to hang himself. We don't always see it right away. We don't always see it in our lifetime. But it's true. Every single thing that the enemy would try to use to thwart us and to hurt us and to harm us, God turns right on his head. And there is literally nothing that Satan can do that will not fit into the perfect, good, beautiful plan of God. And so if you think about this on a daily basis, like, wow, like, that's true. This is the God is on the throne. There's, like, actually a source of security. Like, you can look out at stuff like politics happening in our country, or you can look out at coronavirus right now and just be like, somehow this is all going to like get reversed. Like there's, there's the famous line in the, the Lord of the Rings, where one of the characters says, is everything sad going to be made untrue? And if Jesus is really overruling all things that are meant for evil and he working them for good, then it, it really is true. The one day everything sad is going to be made untrue in Jesus. And doesn't that just give a different perspective? Doesn't that just give a lasting hope that you can hold on to? That's what the psalm is offering. There's a second thing. So it's not just that, but there's a second thing. You know, it's one thing to know that God is really big and powerful and he's in control. But here's the thing. Like, like Muslims believe that God is really big and powerful and in control. You know, that's like just part of what Islamic theology says. And, and, and it's not enough simply to know that he is big and powerful. Um, there's a second thing here in this psalm, and it's in verse 7. You also have to know, not just that he's big and powerful, but number two, that God is for you. Um, and so verse 7 says, uh, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And what I want you to notice here is that there are two names for God that are used. So first, the name the Lord Almighty, or the Lord of hosts. And then the second one is the one that really is interesting here. It's the God of Jacob. Now, my middle name is Jacob. Um, you know, I know some people are really, like, protective of letting people know their, first, their middle names. I just told you. Uh, so... There you go. It's free. Um, my middle name is Jacob. So, like, I, I, I've often thought about the character Jacob in the Bible. And the guy is a jerk. I don't know what my parents were thinking, giving me a middle name like that. But the guy, is a, he, he, he's like a swindler. He's a schemer. He's constantly looking out for his own skin and kind of letting, making everyone else just serve, serve him. Jacob is not the kind of guy you want to emulate. And yet, what this verse is saying is that Jacob, like, that, like the God of the universe is actually for a guy like that. 
here's how here's how here's how one person has has described the the amazing truth of this verse. So so uh, what we learn here is that you know that there are these two names for God. One is that God is you know Lord of Hosts, Lord Almighty. He's also the God of Jacob. So what this means is that God. The one who's the, the, the God of the angelic hosts is also the God of the unworthy sinner. The one who is infinitely high is also intimately nigh, infinitely close. And so this kind of brings these two things together. Like, you got to know that God is really big. He's really in control. But you also have to know that, like, God is in control and he's working all things for good for those whom he loves, who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Um, and one of the things that I just, man, I really feel like um, we miss is just how beautiful and tender the heart of God is toward his people. What do you think, what do you feel when you screw up, when you fall into some sin that you have tried to escape from time and time and time again? I know if you're anything like me, <laughs> Um, what that probably feels like is just this huge black cloud of shame and condemnation. Um, and there is such a thing as conviction. I'm not trying to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't have a ministry of convicting us rightly <laughs> of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what the Bible says. But, um, you know, I think sometimes we project how we feel about ourselves onto God rather than recognizing that we serve a God whose heart is tender and kind and compassionate and the way that we know this is because he went to the cross. You know, Jesus died for his enemies. He died for people not only who experienced shame, but who were shameless, who were so brazen in their rejection of him that, you know, they, they, they wouldn't have even wanted him as their savior, even if they knew that that's what he was. And if, and if God was willing to lay down his life for people like that, for people like us, then what does that say about what's in his heart? What does that say about what's in his heart? God went to the utmost lengths to show us that he loves us. And if you know that that's the guy who's on the throne of the universe, and if you know that that's the guy who holds all of the circumstances of your life in his hands, then what that means is that when there's a, like a, a curve in the road, I mean, when it seems like your whole life just is like a bunch of zigzag lines that don't make any sense, um, that there is an anchor that you can hold on to. Um, I remember a time when I was on my knees crying before God, like literally crying because like my life just felt like one big zigzag that had no rhyme or reason to it. And it just was so dark and unclear to me where God was in just this huge mess. But what I held on to and what we can hold on to is that God will not abandon us. He's not going to just let us be hung out to dry by our sin. But he's a God who went to hell and back to buy us and to purchase us. And, you know, someone has said, if you buy someone a billion-dollar present, do you think they're going to skimp on the wrapping paper? If God did what he did in sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, do you really think that he's going to abandon us now? No. There's a confidence here that comes not just from knowing that God's in control, but knowing that he loves us and is working all things for good for those who love him. And so just now, um, as we wrap up, I just want to conclude with the last thing that this psalm does. What this psalm does is it ends with an invitation. Um, and it ends with this really famous line that says, be still and know that I am God. Um, and I just want to invite us um, right now just to dwell on that verse. Um, you can keep your eyes open. You can close your eyes. It's up to you. But um, I just want to invite you to kind of put yourself in the posture uh, uh, that feels most like surrender to you. Um, and, you know, you don't need to worry about what the person next to you 
thinks of, of, of what that posture looks like to you. Um, a lot of people, I think, don't know that I'm actually a pretty charismatic guy. So, like, I, you know, I'm in favor of, like, the, you know, lying face down on the ground kind of stuff. But I just want to invite you into a posture of just um, hearing now just the last words of this song as we close. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And just kind of in whatever posture of surrender that looks like for you right now, um, just, you know, I'm just going to paraphrase what this says. Um, Come and see the works of the Lord. Come and look at the cross. You know, come and look at what Jesus did there. Look at what he wanted us to know of his heart there. Come and see who he is. Come and see what he's done for us. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He's promised that one day every single struggle that we're experiencing is going to be dead at the foot of Jesus. He's promised that every single conflict in our world is going to be, going, going to be brought to an end. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Every single weapon that the enemy would hurl against us, Jesus has already taken in his own body when he was pierced for our transgressions, when he was punished for our iniquities. And then finally, be still and know that he is God. As, you know, I think if you were to paraphrase this right now, um, you could just say, be still and know that God is in control of this world. Be still and know that God is in control of what happens in our next election. Be still and know that God is in control of what happens next with this pandemic. Be still and know that he's in control of your family. Be still and know that he's in control of your job. He's in control of your relationship. He's in control of all of your mess. Be still and know that he is God. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to move to small groups. Heavenly Father, just um, thank you for the just the amazing hope that this psalm offers. Um, God, would we just be still before you? Um, would you just lead us to um, lay down all of our self-salvation schemes and strategies? Um, God, would you just give us rest from trying to figure out just how to work through all the stuff that is going on in our lives right now? Lord, would you just help us to be still before you? Um, and to know that you are the one who is in control, um, that you are the one who deeply loves us and cares for us, um, and that your heart is for us. Lord, we just be still before you. Know that you are God. Um, Just thank you, God, for the promise of hope and confidence that we can have in a crazy, chaotic world. Lord, thank you that you are God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.